means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing Chapter 8, The Hearing, and Anna is back with us. Hello, hello! After a fully charged Chapter 7, <laughs> uh, we got we got more debate going on in this Woo! one, so um, stay tuned for all of I still love the... everyone. <laughs> I just love having the debates on this podcast, because uh, who wants to hear everybody agree all the time? That's no fun. It's true. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, don't worry, we'll have disagreements, I'm sure. Shockingly, this chapter is about the hearing, and it's pretty much, that's the entirety of the chapter, is just the process of this hearing. We get a little bit of the courtroom vibe, which I know we want to talk about. We get some, we get a, not some, we get a lot of Dumbledore. We get a lot of Amelia Bones. We get some, a lot of Fig. (laughs) And we get some Albus V. Fudge when it comes down to the charges and about that's so good. I like that part a lot. You know, the Albus Fudge thing, like the Albus Fudge debate at the end of Goblet of Fire was mm-hmm. fascinating. Yep. And these Fudge-Dumbledore interactions, I think, are some highlights yeah, of like definitely. two characters interacting. Mm-hmm. So believe me, we'll get into the all the details of that. Um, but you had some notes on the courtroom vibe specifically. My va- my thoughts are more of a question. I mean, I think the vibes are super scary, and I think Fudge is definitely trying to make some power plays. But I guess my question is, Harry specifically mentions that he recognizes the room from the Pensieve. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, do you think Harry having seen the courtroom in the Pensieve and knowing what it was used for, knowing those chains could potentially come up and grab him, do you think that helps? Or do you think it makes it worse? Oh, worse. It's 100% worse. You think? Yeah. I mean, you know you're sitting in the same general seat that real, actual criminals who have done horrible things are sitting in. He specifically brings up Bellatrix getting her life sentence there. Yeah. That's true. So that adds a gravitas, if you will, to the room that you're in, which makes me wonder if I'm going to throw a question back at you. What exactly were the decisions at play that led to this venue and time decision? Is it Fudge playing intimidation game with Harry? Is it Fudge trying to specifically undermine Albus? Is it both? Like, what's the purpose? What do you think his motivations are and for having it specifically in that same courtroom? I definitely think it is a power move. Like, I think it's literally just him. I do think he's flat out abusing his power, but I think it's maybe him trying to show off his power. I don't think undermine is the word I would use in regards to his, um, what he wants towards Dumbledore. I think his motivation for Dumbledore is more, he's hoping Elvis will be a no-show. And he won't get the message in time. And then he'll just be able to very quickly get rid of Harry Potter. But the fact that he brings the entire 
within the gamut. Like, I think there's 50 people in that courtroom, mm-hmm. all in full robes. I think the courtroom itself is used to intimidate Harry. Because Fudge has spoken to Harry before. He knows Harry's not intimidated by him being Minister of Magic. He knows Harry is very well within himself. So maybe he is trying to intimidate Harry. So Harry will stay more quiet. Because he's got to know there's people in those 50 people who would just be sympathetic towards him for being Harry Potter alone. Right. Well, that brings up an interesting question with the full <laughs> the full wisdom gamut in attendance. Because you, you have Amelia Bones, who we mm-hmm. mentioned in the last chapter, is the head of magical law enforcement. And she's present. I like her and her monocle. <laughs> she's, she's an intimidating presence in yes. this chapter. Like yes, she is. I think we're meant to think of her as a heroic figure in this chapter because she's more on Harry's side by the end of it. But really, she's very neutral. She is. But I think that, if anything, that gets us more on her side. That she's she's not fawning over Harry or anything. She's literally just trying to get to the facts. Right. Do you think if Dumbledore was not involved in these proceedings Mm -hmm. didn't bring fig Mm -hmm. just harry Mm -hmm. do you think fudge trying to push through the messaging the the narrative Mm -hmm. would work on the head of magical law enforcement bones or do you think they would eventually come to a head and she'd be like fudge let him speak i because he cuts him off he cuts him off a lot Harry is barely given any chance to speak. Um, it's one throughout of those... the entire proceedings, Fudge just tries to say, like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. Let's move this along. Let's move this along. And Bones doesn't really argue with him about that. It, I'm going to try to stay away from real life politics as much <laughs> as I possibly can. <laughs> so bear with me. But if you've ever seen, like, hearing in Congress recently... When congressmen have a particular narrative that they want pushed, they'll ask very precise questions, mm-hmm. wait for that person to give a yes or a no, which yeah. they know they're going to get, right? and then they cut them off immediately mm-hmm. and don't let them elaborate on that yes or no. That is exactly what Fudge was doing. That's exactly what Fudge was mm-hmm. doing. He's pushing a narrative, he's getting the answer he wants, and he's moving on. <laughs> like, don't, don't elaborate. Where I think Harry would have been in trouble was that, so Bones wasn't stopping Fudge from using those tactics. So I don't know that Harry would have gotten out the fact that Dementors were there. Because Bones didn't know that. She was shocked by the fact um, when Harry finally was able to say with Dumbledore next to him that he was fighting off the Dementors. And that's when she started asking her questions. And she interrupted Harry quite a bit too. She didn't let him get out a full sentence always. That's true. Um, She was more targeted though like she'd be like okay i'm hearing what you're saying mm-hmm. let's not fluff it let's get yeah. to the like get true. to the point true. is yeah. essentially what she was cutting across him more often it's true to your original point i would like to think eventually she would have been like fudge can we let the boy talk a little bit more but i don't know that she would have if dementors didn't get brought up it's fair uh we do have two other players in this that are mentioned we have percy who we learn is just essentially a glorified secretary or scribe, but they don't even call him a secretary, really. They call him a scribe. 
I don't know. I think scribes a little better than secretary. Really? No. Well, it's, uh, I guess maybe I scribes were really important throughout history. Yeah, I mean, it's always important to document what's mm-hmm. happening in the room. Um, I feel bad for him that he has to use parchment and quill. He doesn't have one of those little. I feel like. I feel like <laughs> it's a come down though because he's talking about this promotion in that fight with Arthur. And he's talking about promotion, promotion, promotion. What is he really? He's just recording everything Fudge says. <laughs> like Yeah, but you go into any of those, you brought up our Congress, you go into any of those senator and representatives offices sure. on the Hill, and there's plenty of people who think... Interns you know, and volunteers. Right, that are, yeah. And that leads somewhere. So sure. I think Percy's just got his eye on the long game. Yeah. Um, there's someone else uh, sitting right on the right side, the right hand oh, of the Minister oh, of Magic, Dolores Umbridge, Senior Undersecretary to the Minister. Um, and I don't think it's a mistake that she's seated on the right hand of. I think that imagery mm-hmm. is appropriate. Agreed. So uh, something to keep in your back pocket going <laughs> forward. Um, we barely see her until then. We we see her and Harry oh, sees her. We are her given a description. We are given a heck of a description. It's it's great. Toad like, mm-hmm. um, bulging eyes. The bow on her head, which I honestly still can't actually envision. Like all I see is like the mouth and the eyes. I don't. I, I still can't even put the bow on top. It is. It's hard for me to think of the bow. It's it's. She's such a weird conglomeration of things. <laughs> It's Accurate. the bow and her voice that are always hard for me to remember. You know what? I will give the movies a lot of credit because I think the actress that played Umbridge in the fifth movie mm-hmm. did a very good job with that voice specifically. Yes, with the voice. I, sure. I can hear that right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think she did a great job. And I think she just played the... Yes, Queen. I was gonna crown. say. I think she's just a pretty fantastic actress. She's pretty good. She's pretty good. Um, Daunton is her name. Yes. So we get Dolores Umbridge, and we get the description of the bow being like a fly on the top of her head that she's about to eat. So we also get the entrance of one Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore, witness for the defense. That's a name. Is that the first time we get his full name? I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. That is. Yeah. That is a name favorite <laughs> said calmly and quietly yes oh, Gambon just didn't understand Dumbledore um but that can be a whole other conversation well that can be a whole conversation I I feel well I think Gambon's performance of Dumbledore in this scene sorry we're talking so much about the movies but I think it was not necessarily not calm it was more it's annoyed yeah it was like an annoyed like I'm this bores me kind of thing like well, and i also remember him like kind of like waving an arm and talking a little louder not shouting like you know did you push her name but like <laughs> more it was like, a flamboyantly right. frustrated which dumbledore. this dumbledore to me is more impressive or i feel like it makes a bigger point that he's just sitting there calmly in a chintz armchair when he makes a point, it's quietly done, but it is like razor, laser sharp focused. Well, we get we get an interesting sense of Dumbledore here because to Harry, mm-hmm. Harry feels quote like a sense of fortification 
and hope. I really liked that. Which is a similar feeling that he got from the Phoenix, mm -hmm. which is an interesting note. The Wizen Gamut also has a reaction yes. to Dumbledore, and it's a varied reaction amongst them. Some are just surprised. Mm -hmm. Others mumble and whisper amongst themselves. You know who my two favorite are, right? Who? <laughs> the two little ladies who just excitedly oh. wave. <laughs> that is true. Uh, who just give no cares, and they're yeah. just like, oh, hi. <laughs> hi. Uh, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you get others that are have no effect whatsoever. It's like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And then you have like a sense some of them are a little bit like I don't want to say afraid, but there's this like a ripple of like I feel like they're the people who feel like they're being put on notice. Like, okay, there's no railroading this young boy anymore, like. This is a sense that you get that Dumbledore still has a presence. Okay. Like he doesn't have to exert himself to still be like I am here, I will be dealt with. Yeah. Like, you have to now deal with me that I'm here. Well, and I think that's why Fudge loses quite a bit of his composure at this point. Yeah. Because he knows, okay, this just got significantly well, he, harder. And this, so essentially we're in, I mean, it's literally a courtroom. You're, you're literally having essentially just a bunch of lawyers just argue at this point. And, you know, at the end of, or no, not at the end of, but at the beginning, in one of our first few chapters of, Order of the Phoenix, you learned that Dumbledore was the chief wisdom. Yes. <laughs> he was the chief warlock of the wisdom gamut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, he was this. Mm -hmm. It's like, great. Now I got to deal with someone who knows this process instead of just dealing with a 15 year old kid. He mentions that he happily arrived. Uh, it was a happy mistake that he arrived three hours <laughs> early <laughs> to the ministry. Uh, like, anyone in that room actually believes that. <laughs> I know Fudge definitely doesn't. Definitely not. And so, and that's where I got into the question of like, was Fudge orchestrating this whole thing just to avoid this specific scenario? I think so. I very much think so. But you do get that calm, confident, intimidating kind of vibe from, from Albus. Dumbledore's still not looking at Harry. Very Harry. pointedly so. Exactly. Harry mentions it multiple times. Like he tries to catch Dumbledore's eye and he's... Makes me feel so bad for Harry. But, you know... If we're talking like in this scene, I think as a criminal defense, I think it's actually better that Dumbledore doesn't show any actual signs of favoritism towards Harry. He literally sticks to the case. There's a difference between showing no signs of favoritism, sticking to the case, and like glancing at the person you're defending to at least greet them. I get it. Well, I mean, Fudge does bring it up later. Like... And we can get into this because this is part of the whole Fudge Albus thing. But he does bring up like you've let Harry oh, yeah. get away with a lot. Yeah. But we, we'll get to That's that. Something, yeah. So we get to the the charges that are eventually against him, which are performing uh, magic in front of a Muggle in a Muggle community, and it was significant magic. Of a muggle. Yeah, it wasn't just Akio or something like that. It was like no, this is a big thing, big thing that you did. And here's my problem. So clearly, is this is this just Fudge making this this, or is this the actual law that it doesn't matter who the Muggle is? You're performing magic in front of a cousin who clearly knows you are magical. I don't think it matters who the Muggle is. So your Muggle parents would that still count? Yeah, but they clearly know that you're a witch or wizard. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, you know what I mean? I guess that is the point because, like, once Hermione turned 17, would she have uh, been in trouble for doing magic at home? Right. You know, like, with, yeah, I guess that's a good point. It's just a weird quirk in the law. Yeah, I guess that's true. It just... But how do you differentiate? Like, you would have to be brought to a hearing to prove what muggle you performed it in front of. Right. And to a certain extent, like, could it matter? I mean, if it's his cousin, I think you have to have a cutoff of how close the person would be. I feel like families, maybe siblings, because... That's fair, but Harry's living in the same house. Like, that's his residence. That's true. So, and I mean, I think ultimately we have to decide that that's the law. Yeah. And if that is the case, that is really dumb. (laughs) That's a terrible, terrible law. I didn't think it was that dumb until I started thinking of it in terms of, like, a muggle-born's parents and things like that. That's awful. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So, I... We're agreed. That's dumb. <laughs> Those are the charges that Harry's up against. And, you know, once that all comes out exactly what magic was being done, that's when Amelia Bones becomes a factor in this and goes, mm-hmm. um, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, you did what? And it was, like, a full Patronus? Like, and a... you've done this before? Yeah, like, how did you learn this? You're a kid. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, that's actually just quite impressive which then annoys fudge is like i don't care how impressive the magic is i loved how harry was getting frustrated too that she was so focused on him being able to do it and he's just like yeah i i do it all the time like can we move on to mentors um so eventually they get to the fact that uh they need a witness because fudge is like and you know astutely again if you're in fudge's shoes here you're going to have to say this and spin it and be like, well, of course he would come up with this response because this is the logical excuse. And, uh, you know, we could predict that you were going to say this. And then, you know, Dumbledore surprises them with the, (laughs) the uh, appearance of Arabella fig who uh, Harry notes would have been better to not come in her slippers. slippers, Yeah. She came in her house slippers. Yeah. You think Dumbledore like really astutely would have just been like, and she's not wearing these shoes. (laughs) Like just switch, do a little switch. (laughs) I am a little surprised Dumbledore didn't prep her a little bit more, but you know what I found interesting about this whole thing though, is that we got the knowledge that muggles can't see Dementors. We did get that. She could. Fig could, but I wonder why. Why can't muggles see Dementors? They can see other magical creatures. It's like they get the feeling, they just can't see it. Like we don't see a manifestation of depression, but we still feel those feelings. Huh. And I think that's just where she's going with it. You're right. I mean, if a hippogriff showed up, I'm they'd be able to see that. <laughs> what What got me in this whole thing was the idea that Fudge is a minister of magic and he has no idea anything about squibs. Yeah. Well, and I think that is specific to Fudge. Like, it's going back to some of the things that came out in that argument between Dumbledore and Fudge and Goblet of Fire and the Weasleys knowing what he is. Like, I think it's coming back around to the specific prejudices that Cornelius Fudge has. Yeah. um, it's It's one thing to have prejudices. It's another thing to show that level of ignorance. So, like, I think squibs are looked down on in magical society. And I almost wonder if she does that to kind of show there's really not, like, if Voldemort wasn't all about, you know, like, killing people and darkness. Imagine. Yeah. 
I think he would have a lot more people on his side. Like, I think there's a lot of people who think he's not necessarily wrong with his viewpoints on the purity of blood and magical people ruling over people who don't have magic, which at the end of the day is a squib. Right. If you're a politician and you don't know something, I'd expect you to spin it in a way that's like, I'm sorry, do squibs actually, like, can they? (laughs) Like, I feel like that's got to ruin his credibility with the other, assuming they're fairly intelligent people on the wizard gamut, being like, really? You don't, like, you're the minister of magic. At least fake it. Like, ask that question to Umbridge in the, like, back room or something. Don't, like, announce it to the whole courtroom. It was just weird. It was just a weird thing. That's true. Starting to lose his composure. (laughs) He is, a little bit. Uh, That was, like, a genuine... Like, he was almost intrigued enough at the answer. It just came out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, incidentally, do they? Can they? Oh. Oh. Uh, great. That's the man that you're following, Percy. Good luck. So we get Fudge versus Elvis. And this is what the this is what it's really about. Yeah. Uh, and this is what we really want to get to. It's, I think it comes down to the demeanor of both men. We've already talked about Elvis having that calm composure. And I think he does a really good job He's very careful about what he says, mm-hmm. but he's he's staring his own narrative, right? Oh, yeah, of course. And I will give Fudge credit on this, and this is the only credit I'm giving Fudge uh, this entire chapter, but I think he does see through what Albus is doing with the, the silver-tongued way that Albus is trying to manipulate the rest of the wisdom gamut. Fudge is like, Albus... That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this. Let's focus on this. <laughs> like, stop stop going off on this tangent that doesn't matter. Let's... But Dumbledore still brings it back. I feel like where Fudge continues to lose is that, like, Dumbledore knows the law. And he's not afraid to quote it and be like, oh, why aren't you following this law? Why aren't you following this? Why has this change been made? Why has this change been made? And yes, some of them Fudge can bring back around and be like, no, 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 no. Stop posting on that. This is the issue. But it's not like Dumbledore isn't making some points. Oh, for sure. That are applicable to the case at hand. A hundred percent. However, as much as Albus is coming with this calmed, reasoned approach, he's not above taking a shot no, when not. that shot is there to be taken that is true and he's at some point he goes uh, i'll quote this even the best wizards cannot always control their emotions oh because fudge had just banged down his hand in frustration at something Elvis said and his ink spilled yes. all over his notes yeah. that is definitely a direct shot at fudge oh yeah so he's taking his uh, that's stronger than a quip that's like well because Dumbledore's not stupid he's not He'll get some quips in to try and weaken Fudge's position because at the end of the day, Dumbledore doesn't care about Fudge being Minister for Magic. He cares about a leader getting the word out to people and taking action against Voldemort. And yeah. if Fudge isn't going to be that person, he'll take the shots he needs to take to get him out of there. Then you get into this debate, kind of like what you were just mentioning with Fudge overextending his powers mm-hmm. uh, with, is this what we're really into now? Is it, Can the Ministry of Magic expel a student from Hogwarts? I don't think so. Like, I don't think that you can do that yet. Can you confiscate a wand without, like, any actual... Tra- I don't think you can do that 
And that's what you're doing. And then that's when Fudge comes at him with the line of laws can be changed. Yes. Which I think... The, the adjective used for his way of saying that line is savagely. So he clearly is coming for that. Yeah. I think there's... I think the tone changes. <laughs> the tone has already changed between Fudge and Albus. It's, it's already become all about the two of them instead of about poor little Harry. But I think Albus would be very naive if he didn't take that line seriously mm -hmm. and realize the potential that that can actually cause. However, I think he might be a little naive. And this is the only time I think I could ever say Albus is ever naive. Wrong. Aggressive. I could say a bunch of negative things about Dumbledore, but this is the only time I'm ever going to say he's naive because he almost baits Fudge into potentially doing something at Hogwarts because he's literally saying, you can't control what I do with my That's students true. at Hogwarts. That's you can't true. do this. You can't do that. And he's like baiting Fudge. That's true. And I'm like, Albus, you be giving him ideas. I don't know that you should be giving him ideas. <laughs> like, just say that you can't do that and then just like, don't taunt him about it. I think that still that bit of Jude Law Dumbledore coming through. I think at at his core, Dumbledore likes taunting people. I, I do think the line laws can change puts him on a little bit of notice. I think Dumbledore takes that seriously. Because I think Dumbledore knows at the end of the day, Fudge can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. we, we said before, Fudge isn't stupid. Fudge isn't like, he's not Dumbledore, but he's not stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You are right, though. That was a little... It was a mistake to put ideas to bait him. And regarding I Hogwarts. think, like you just said, Fudge is not stupid. I think Albus might at times, maybe not all the time, but maybe at times assumes he's a little dumber than he might actually be. I don't know that it's Or that. is it he arrogance? He's, I think it's that. Ah. I think it's kind of similar to when Voldy makes his mistakes and what he deems unimportant, he overlooks. It's not that Dumbledore doesn't deem Fudge important. It's that he, at the end of the day, knows he's more powerful than Fudge, magically. I think he thinks of himself as better than Fudge. He thinks so he's of like, himself. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fudge is going to go do that, but I'll be able to handle that. I'm me. I'm smarter than Fudge. I'm thus... smarter than Fudge. I'm more powerful than yeah. Fudge. I, yeah. Well, Albus being smarter than Fudge, well, accurate, doesn't mean that Fudge is an idiot. <laughs> it just means that Albus is smarter than him. Fudge can still do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So it's, Albus is dipping into a little dangerous game here. That... Well, where it's, I think he is right in that at the end of the day, he can handle anything Fudge is going to throw at him. What I think is silly of him in this moment is he's dipping his toes into these waters when he's got more important things to be worrying about. Yeah. Why is he setting up this battle with Fudge when he's needing to be spreading out the word about Voldemort? Agreed. And, you know, it, we're talking about the subtle. That, that, that shot about, like, cannot always control their temper or their emotions, mm -hmm. that's a subtle shot. Mm -hmm. That that one might fly under the radar. Fudge might not even, like, notice that. However, um... Albus is not calm with one of his statements. And I know it because there's an exclamation point. Not, 
<laughs> but Albus does lull you kind of sleep with his like logic and his calm demeanor, and he's like, oh, lulling, 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 and then all of a sudden it becomes clearly it has become practice to hold a full criminal trial for underage uh, magic, and that that's him being like, and mic drop, <laughs> like this is over, I'm ending this now, and that that I think is accurate. To, you brought up Michael Gambon's performance in in the movie and i think that that does coordinate because that's kind of what he did he threw his arms up and is like is this what we're doing now <laughs> like really well and i think even that is another pointed statement towards fudge like why is this happening like why are you doing it this way like this isn't right we all know this isn't right but more so trying to say to the people surrounding him are you gonna let him get away with this yeah how do you feel? Does he have, I think he actually directs a comment to Bones. It's when they're talking about the Dementors, and we haven't really talked, but that's when Umbridge comes forward and kind of starts. They get into a little tete-a-tete about who ordered the Dementors to Little Winging. Mm -hmm. And Dumbledore makes a point of, I hope, I'm trying to communicate my confidence that this will not go uninvestigated, that two Dementors were away from. And that, I think, is what was directed towards Madame Bones. So Because I think he is trying to say, like, hey, if it's going to get investigated, it's going to be you to do it. Yeah. It's interesting that he then switches his focus from Fudge to maybe the one ear in the room. Well, at least the one powerful <laughs> ear in the room that might actually be willing to listen to what he's got to say. Right. Because it's like you brought up earlier. She's about fair play. She's not here to worry about Fudge changing laws and getting involved in Hogwarts. She's not here for... She doesn't play the, the politics game. Right. Yeah. It's a really... I really do enjoy these Elvis Fudge breakdowns. It's much more fascinating as an adult than it was as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> a fair point i have i have actually talked with people about this book and they say that you know after the beginnings of this uh, book where you have the dementor attack you have some fights going on between harry ron and hermione and molly and sirius and you get the house with all of its creatures and you know whatever it's a very uh creative kind of beginning to this book you get the advanced guard coming yeah. You know, like it's a very story. creative start to the book. And then I know a lot of people that dip into the oh, chapter seven and eight. So boring. And I'm like, I get why you're saying that. But there's also a lot there if you really like dig into it. Like we're just digging into this Albus fudge <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, but how many people, most people I think are like, swipe, swipe, swipe. I mean, I think I was like that as a teenager. As a sure. teenager, probably, yeah. Uh, but as a teenager it was more like swipe 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 i need to get to the end that being said i was actually because i picked this up a couple of years after it had come out so i was older oh i wasn't i actually my story about this book is funny i went to the midnight you know borders to get my book and the very next day my family left on a caribbean cruise so Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is my companion on a carnival cruise where I was the only underage person and my parents liked to visit the ship casino and my brothers liked to visit the bars to flirt with pretty girls. So I sat by myself reading Harry Potter and 
I just remember at the end of the book, my brothers came to find me because they were starting to feel guilty and I was crying. Mm. And my brother, who's not a Harry Potter fan, was all concerned and be like, what's wrong? I'm so sorry. <laughs> my other brother was like, don't tell me, don't tell me. <laughs> I, I mean, that's similar to me reading Prisoner of Azkaban on the beaches of Florida. Like, there we go. I, I, it's just like you, you take these books on trips and you just read them Absolutely. in places that you probably shouldn't be reading a book, but it's fine. <laughs> probably still sand in mine it's fine i always think that when i open up prisoner of azkaban like i always think i'm gonna find sand like just trickle out but never does anyway <laughs> random side tangents <laughs> I, I, do you have anything else for the non-spoiler section we have some interesting things to get into in the spoiler section anna has some more rebuttals on things that she's noted we'll have some death eater talk in the spoiler section so Come back for that, where Anne and I will not be so uh, agreement-oriented, <laughs> let's say. It'll be an interesting one, so come back, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, so we're back with the spoiler section, and this is going to be an interesting debate to start off the spoiler section. You were listening to a previous episode that I had with Molly. Yes, I was. And we had gotten into uh, an article from Game Rant, uh, who listed their nine strongest death eaters and you took issue with my ranking so let me just here's game rants ranking okay the list from game rant starting from nine going to number one number nine lucius malfoy number eight amicus and electo caro the, the caro twins you get number seven thorfinn rowell number six walden mcnair and number five, Anna's favorite, Antonin Dolohoff. Ew. Yeah. And number four, <laughs> you can see where this is going really quick. Number four, Regulus Black. Number three, Barty Crouch Jr. Uh, if you listen to any of Anna and I's episodes in Goblet of Fire, you know we're kind of big fans of Barty Crouch Jr. Number two, Bellatrix Lestrange. And number one, Mr. Severus Snape. So I will give the floor to you. What are your takes on that list of the top nine? I don't know why top ten, but top I know, nine. It is really weird. I feel like they just ran out of Death Eaters. That Which they is knew. ridiculous because there, there are others. I'll give you that. But um, I'll also just start at nine and go down. I'll, I'll keep Malfoy at nine. I'll agree with you there. So just on, on Lucius Malfoy for a mm -hmm. second. Is it Lucius Malfoy now... Currently, like book five version of Lucius Malfoy, are we talking total series end of Lucius Malfoy? Or are we talking Lucius as a Death Eater in his prime? I think we would have to, because the way I'm thinking of the other Death Eaters on the list are definitely through the end of the series. So I think we would have to do the same. So Lucius. Lucius Malfoy at the end of book seven. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, like, I think you have to take them as a whole. Mm, so okay. like... Lucius at the end, as well as him leading them like in the ministry Like his entirety, of like his whole resume. Yeah. Okay. So what puts him at number nine on this list for you? Well, he definitely, you know, I think he loses the faith. So he doesn't, he becomes more focused on saving his family, which like is a good thing <laughs> for the record. Um, so he's not going to like jump up the rankings for that. But he, I think he deserves to be on the list because. <laughs> so lowers his list on the Death Eater. Uh, makes a better person raises his list yeah. of the better better person list okay gotcha um 
the first change I would make is I would actually take the Caro twins off of the list. I don't think they deserve to be on it. Ooh, okay. Um, from what I read about them, which I read the Game Rant article, mm-hmm. and um, from the research I did, the Game Rant article was actually wrong with, about what the Caro twins did in the final battle. They said that they contributed to the final battle of Hogwarts and everything. They were, I, like, knocked out, Exactly. They? they were tied up by Minerva McGonagall after all that stuff that happened in the Ravenclaw common room, and they were eventually sent to Azkaban. Yeah. And I just, like, don't think they were particularly good at... I mean, they were good at being cruel towards the students, but those are children. Like, I feel... And they weren't even successful at, like, wrangling Ginny and Neville and stuff. So I just feel like they don't deserve to be on the list. Okay. So I would... Maybe that's why they put them together. Like, they combined the efforts. That could be. So I would remove them, and then I would place Mick... Nair at eight at eight. Oh, okay. Why are you putting McNair so low on this list? Because I don't generally get the sense that McNair was very good at anything that he did. You know, I mean, he lost Buckbeat. I guess he was the one who was sent to Voldemort by Voldemort to liaise with the Giants. Mm-hmm. I guess he did a pretty good job there, so he can stay on the list. But other than that. I don't think he did a very good job at the Department of Mysteries. I don't think there's anything standout that he did at the Battle of Hogwarts. In fact, from what I am reading, he was thrown into a wall by Hagrid and crumpled there for the rest of the battle. So I just don't know that he deserves to be as high as Game Rant put him. So I would put him at number eight. Okay. Keep Raoul where he is. Okay. And then the addition I would make is you mentioned it in your episode with Molly. I would put Yaxley in there. At number six. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that addition. I think Yaxley's a worthy addition to this yeah. list. He was he got the Imperius curse on a few important people. I think he was important. He essentially was responsible for infiltrating exactly. the Ministry of Magic. <laughs> exactly. And and he was pretty high up. I mean he wasn't the right hand, but But he was like he pushing was at like Snape and everything. Third at maybe meetings. third or fourth in command at that point had to have been yeah yeah no i think that's i think that's fair at, at six uh-oh uh-oh this is where uh-oh. me and molly are gonna fight you and Olaf needs to stay where he is at five at five okay so so for the record we're not like way off here i don't know why you want him to replace regulus so yeah so literally we're like that so we're discussing Anna, Antonin Dalahoff and Regulus Black at four and five. Yeah. I'm assuming, are you keeping Regulus at four then? I'm thinking about it. Okay. It's going to be a game time decision. All right. So for me, um, in this specific case, I'll get to the others that you mentioned and, and my two cents on them. But in this case, we're close. We're debating between four and five. And actually, you know what? Now that you made the point that Yaxley is basically the one who infiltrated the ministry, I think I want to move Dalahoff down to six. <laughs> okay. All right. I wasn't there before, but I think mean, that's a valid point. <laughs> it is a valid he, point. He I will give you that. He got the ministry. I think he deserves to be a five and Dolph's at six. Oh, I will give you this. You can make a really strong argument for Yaxley over Dolhoff, and I don't know that I would really argue with you that much. <laughs> I will give you that. Because I've basically been gearing up to accuse you of the fact that I think Dolhoff is to you what James Potter is to me. 
<laughs> Nobody understands your obsession. I think you have made it an obsession. You have made it an obsession. Your love for Antonin Dolov is so weird. If you could, I wouldn't call it a love. To how you wax poetic about oh him. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. I disagree with your premise as a whole. Molly asked I have me to a come love to her aid and I am coming. All right. I disagree with your premise as a whole. And I think the fact that I just can get behind you putting Yaxley ahead of him, I think proves that I don't have a love affair. A little bit. Big eye roll for me. Um, so I, I have stated on numerous occasions now, because Anna will always bring up that I have a love affair with him when it's, yep actually based on what he has done in the series he was present for a department of mysteries battle and he was not an easy takedown I know, in that battle blow purple smoke around <laughs> <laughs> the look you guys if you could see it for the record i did say that just to annoy him the purple smoke was really bad and scary <laughs> he was a factor in that battle he i thought he, I thought he killed hermione he made it very tough on moody i think he actually like disabled moody at some point so. which he is he's got a shot in on him yeah. can we at least agree that's impressive it's, thank you yeah. okay uh it took uh, i think it took a combined spell from sirius and harry to knock him out of that battle something like that it was something to that effect so that was him there and then in the battle of hogwarts obviously he plays a major role mm-hmm. i think he's utilized as one of voldy's uh go to hitman um so like yaxley would be a uh <laughs> he'd kind of be the businessman <laughs> like he'd be like your go take care of the paperwork he's good at it and he's great at it but that's why he's at the ministry well, i think it's a little more intricate than that he's more infiltration he's, he's a numbers more guy. <laughs> no he's not a numbers guy he's all like needing to sneak it in and be like more personable because he's not just trying to kill people. He's trying to overpower people. Yeah. I, I, I think they have different skill sets. Yes. I, I think, you know, Yaxley's more on the, uh, okay, let's call it political espionage. Yes. There we go. He's more political espionage kind of guy. Dahlhoff's more of a, I'm going to kill you kind of guy. Like a winter soldier kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're just two different skill sets. <laughs> Uh, they're both very effective at it. Obviously, we know what Dahlhoff ends up doing in the Battle of Hogwarts. And the person who ends up taking him down, by the way, is one of my faves yes, as I well. Yes, made this point already. Uh, and I am a champion for Flitwick and how amazing he is and how underutilized he really is. But he's referred to whichever outlet you want to get your info from. He's considered the best duelist. Yes. Of the Hogwarts teachers, which says a lot, by the way. It does. Very much so. So the fact that it took one of Hogwarts' best to best Dolhoff, I think, is significant nonetheless. I agree. So I think he earns his spot roughly where he is. The yes. debate we're going to have is on Regulus and where he should be. I think we just made a really good argument for Yaxley, and I think we've I have made a good argument for Dolahoff. I was never trying to kick him off the list. But the debate we're gonna have is now Regulus. I think he deserves to stay where he is at four. At four. Yeah. 
first of all, can we get through the easy ones? We're agreed generally on the top three. Yeah, I think the top. I think the top three are pretty firm, right? Do you have an issue on the order? No, I thought about it pretty hard, but I think the order needs to stay as is. I I agree. I think I think the the top three is pretty firm. So we're back to Regulus. And I think he needs to. You were trying to bump him down. Where were you trying to bump him down to? How far down were you trying to send him? I was. I just flipped him. I just flipped Regulus and okay. uh, Dolohoff. Although now that we made a really strong argument for Yaxley that I kind of like, I'd probably bump him down beyond Yaxley too. You'd bump Regulus down a little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, that's what I don't understand though, because oh. you brought up the point that he was like a favorite of Slughorn, and I do think that's meaningful. Or maybe Molly brought up that point, but I think what it comes down to is like. Voldemort only trusted his strongest Death Eaters with Horcrux-related tasks. And I know he never brought Regulus to the cave, but the fact that... I mean, are you really telling me all of his Death Eaters didn't have house elves? Like, he probably he chose Regulus to help him with well, the locket. So I think he chose the Black family. Because the Black family was particularly devoted to... To that cause, they all True. supported him. They were a pure blood family. Lucius, Bella, it, yeah, they were a particularly devoted family. So he chose a family house elf that they know has a history with house elves. But I still think there's something to be said. He he was made a Death Eater at 16. He was strong enough. He drank the potion, got creature away with the locket. I just think. That is the key right there, that only certain people were interested with her. And you make a valid point about it being the black family, but I just still think if it was, I don't know, somebody else, maybe their house elf just doesn't get chosen, even a different member of the black family. So obviously I still have Regulus on this on this list. Why? It's because he's okay, he's from the black family. And whatever you think of the Black family tree, they're generally very talented, oh, yeah. very gifted, mm-hmm. uh, very intelligent. They're a, a very accomplished group of witches and wizards. I am not saying at any point in time that he is not a very gifted individual. No, I know. So there's definitely that inherent thing. But also, he obviously contributes to one of the major plot points in this series. Well, but that's the like okay he actually infiltrated the ministry and Dolaho killed a lot of people poor crocs yeah so here's my thing poor crocs yeah so here's my thing it's twofold one he doesn't actually get rid of the horcrux because he sacrifices himself in fact which i feel like is a whole different type of strength for the record sure i'll give you that but in fact in attempting to get rid of the horcrux he then ultimately, in the plot line of the story, delays the actual Horcrux. Oh, that's not his fault. Well, it, yeah. It is his fault because he went to do it. Or put it. Yeah, fair enough. So, I was gonna blame in fact, he actually this. delays that process of that Horcrux potentially being eliminated. So, <laughs> I'm, he deserves a spot on this list because he's talented, he's smart, he's gifted, he has an impact on the story in a substantial way. It's one way he's substantial. I think the people ahead of him have multiple impacts on the story. Yeah, we're not trying to put him ahead of any of those people. Well, I was kind of thinking about putting him ahead of Barty Crouch Jr. And I stopped. 
Oh, Santa, I who are you right now? Where he was. I left him where he was. Junior, I'm, I'm still actually, vice president. I'm actually a little hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still vice president, okay? Whew. But I just think R.A.B. I think it was a big deal. Oh, I mean, it drove the fandom nuts, but... But no, even just within the Death Eaters, I just... part. I think the Horcruxes should almost be just like... I don't know. Well, I guess then that, that would make the argument that Lucius should be up higher than he is. And I don't think he should be, but. Well, okay. So let me get to some of your other picks. You had, we had both Thorfinn and Rall at, at seven. And I think that's fair. I'm going to be honest. I think I need to reread his parts a little bit more to get a real accurate. The the Gamer article didn't talk about all the different things that he yeah. does a lot. I remember his name being brought up a lot. Mm-hmm. So I know he was one of those guys sent out to do stuff a lot. I think he was powerful, but I think he was like wild in his power, which is why I think he needs to stay like where he's at. And I think I just remember him ultimately failing a lot. <laughs> like he didn't accomplish a whole lot. I don't know that he was ever given tasks to accomplish. I think his account, like his <laughs> Just mess things chaos. up. <laughs> just chaos. Yeah, yeah maybe. Uh, so, okay. Well, we'll put... Raul on the back burner for right now and get into him as we reread these series because it's been a minute for me. Lucius is what I want to talk about because I, I guess you're right. If we're going to bump one off for Yaxley to be put on here, I would I would agree. The Caros need to be bumped off, so I'd agree with you on that one. Lucius is an interesting conversation because if we're talking the entirety of his Death Eater... Uh, resume Mm -hmm. he was the man Mm -hmm. not Snape not Bellatrix not Barty Crouch Jr he was the right hand man for a while and then you know Goblet of Fire happens and he steps back into that role that's gonna be ever like where are we getting that he was the right hand man he had a like obviously we know he's given charge of the department of mysteries right and he has the diary he steps he steps into that role when they all come back he led the the death eater um torture at the quidditch world cup well i don't think that really counts that was more i feel like a bunch of frat boys having some Mm. misguided fun oh it it most certainly was so of course he (laughs) would still well yeah (laughs) Uh, but I think it's, it's a lot of the similar stuff I just said about Regulus Black of he comes from a prominent pure blood family. He's just he's connected with the black family through Narcissa. It's it, he fits that uh, image oh, that yeah. Voldy wants to oh, yeah. put out there. Mm-hmm. So I think Voldy likes putting him out on Front Street and being like, you're what they should aspire to go out there oh, yeah, and do true. it you um, are the epitome of do you think that's why he's made to be blonde probably yeah I thought it before. yeah um In comparison to like aryan race like what everybody should the perfect person should be he's kind of all that for the a little bit was. yeah yeah i i think that's why boldy is so intent on putting him out front most cases but then obviously the the fall from grace happens and that is a it's a rapid fall, fall from grace yeah. 
and he hits a whole bunch of rocks on the way down. But, but you know what this brings up? Hmm. Should Draco be included? He's technically a Death Eater. He is technically a Death Eater, and I mean, he's pretty successful in the tasks that he's given. He is, actually. I mean, I think I'd be more likely to make him number 10 than I am to make the Karos number 10. I would agree with you on that. I'd put Draco ahead of the Karos. I would agree with you on that. Is there any Death Eaters that were missing specifically? I'm not really feeling any kind of way about Knot or Crab no, or Goyle. Or Avery. Yeah. Avery, I feel like, messes up. Um, you know what I did learn in mm. my research into McNair and Olahove? One of the Death Eaters... Your best buds forever. <laughs> I wish. The bros. Yeah. So Dolaho, they were all partnered off at the Department of Mysteries, and Dolaho's partner was a Death Eater named Jugson. Oh, I remember that. And he's the one who falls into the time turner. So I don't think he deserves to be on the ranking, because that was a pretty spectacular mess up for himself. But I do remember... Jugson. I do remember yeah. Jugson mentioned. <laughs> I've yeah. seen lists that put pious thickness as a death eater i don't think he technically was he's no. just imperious yes so those lists are wrong Agreed. to begin with but i feel like the movies messed that up the movies made it seem like thickness was a death eater instead of making it clear that he was just imperious who else could we even put in that conversation rudolphus was strange they don't know enough about it yeah though. that's how i feel too other than well i won't even get into that conversation <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot going on there <laughs> okay, but no, we're moving yeah, on. Yeah, we're moving on yeah. from that. We're, we're, we're... <laughs> Karkaroff. What about Karkaroff? Yeah, no. No? Just no. flat, flat hard no? no. Wormtail. You... What about Wormtail? Oh, that's true. He deserves to be on. I mean. Well, we're also talking strong. I was just going to say we're talking strength. But you and I are some of his biggest proponents for that. He must have been better at magic than he's given that credit for. That is true. For. I, I mean, would, look at the spell that he destroyed and killed those 12 people and I destroyed would that street. I put him ahead of the Karos. Agree. Oh, definitely ahead of the Karos. I think I'd put him ahead I of guess, Draco. I guess really what you're learning from this debate is that we're the, very down on the Karos. I guess that's your takeaway. I feel like the Karos didn't have anything going for them except for the fact that they were insane. Yeah. And they weren't powerful enough like Bellatrix to make that insanity like make them a big deal. You're gonna have to. You guys are gonna have to let us know what you think on this this game rant list of the top nine. We made it top ten with Draco thrown in there. Should post it in uh, the show notes. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll see uh, what you guys think. Let us know on Twitter and Instagram. Are there any other spoilery, non-spoilery thoughts you want to get in before the end of this? Mm. We've had some interesting debate there's a debate about the best father figure for harry mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. arthur quick answer just arthur hands arthur down. remus serious in that order in that order why do you put remus over serious um mostly for his god julie's gonna kill me um <laughs> mostly for his relationship with harry and prisoner of azkaban I feel like he grew a really special relationship with Harry in that book. And if it had continued on more in that vein, instead of being distracted by the title of Godfather in Sirius Black, I think he would have been a much better father figure than Sirius. I don't think he would have brought as much. I think he would have brought healthy James things to the table. 
Which okay. is not Sirius's fault. Sirius had a very hard 12 years. He understands Harry just as well as Sirius understands Harry. I think Harry and Sirius just have a little bit more in common. I think, so, what their arguments were, what Jen and Julie's arguments were in this debate was, one, Arthur's a cheat code because he's been a father for, like... Okay, well, yes. 20-something years at this point. Totally fair. Uh, so Probably a valid he's point, had much he's more practice. At it. There's plenty of dads who have been a dad for that long that are still not good dads. That's, that's very true. That's very true. He's had a lot of practice, but yes, you're right. Uh, and then the other uh, question they throw in is like, well, you know, Molly and I talked about how Arthur's always there. Mm-hmm. And you know you can tell him anything, and he's never going to overreact. He's like, just tell me. I'm not gonna yell at you. I'm not gonna you know be whatever. Just just tell me. Mm-hmm. And I think you know we agree that that's a huge characteristic and a parent that we appreciate yeah. and and we love. He creates trust in his children. Yes. Which I feel like. But their point was that. Harry's first option is never Arthur. It's usually, let me go to Sirius. Let me go to Lupin. Let me go to Albus. And then if none of them are responding, then we'll go to Arthur. And Arthur's always there, yes, but it's like a third or fourth option. Okay, but how much of that is because they've got that connection to James? Like, at the end of the day, what Harry wants is his father. Right, yeah. And... Arthur didn't know James. So I think for Harry, that's why Sirius gets the leg up over Lupin once he comes into the picture because Harry thinks of it as, oh, this is who my parents are. This is the best man in my father's world. Mm -hmm. So I guess he's the person I need to go to now. Even though Lupin and he had such a good relationship in the year that they knew each other. Well, their first year knowing each other. Um, and that's why he goes to Remus if Sirius isn't there. I think if you look at when Harry and Arthur interact, they're always much healthier interactions. Agreed. I and agree. look at the links that Harry goes to to save Arthur in this book. I'm not saying he wouldn't do that for sure any of his loved ones, but there's plenty of times that Harry... I think gets really good advice from Arthur and listens to it. He also gets the most fatherly, like just pure fatherly advice. And it's not just like tidbits of wisdom. I mean, it is all wisdom, but it is, but it's not wisdom that he like looks at and sees flaw in or thinks like, you know, "Mm, do I really need to think about like, is that really the best idea? Is that really like he listens to it and he takes it straight I think face value, like recognizes, okay, yeah. I think Julie Weasley's always right. Julie made a really interesting point that I liked for Arthur about Arthur's a type of person who you don't fully appreciate Mm -hmm. until like you're an adult. Like, I don't know that, speaking for Charlie here, but I don't know that Charlie appreciated him as a kid, but as an adult, I bet you he goes to Arthur often for advice. Most of the kids go to Arthur for the advice. Yeah. They go to Molly for food and hugs. <laughs> go to Arthur for advice. I, I think, and I, I think that's true. I think where uh, Arthur's appreciation grows is when you look back on it and be like, wow, he was always there. 
and he always gave me great advice and it always worked. Well, and I think that's why, not to belabor a previous point, Percy not recognizing that and as a more grown adult turning his back on that is so like shocking and not okay. And that's why I was like, I wonder what Bill and Charlie might have said to him and be like, dude, you have no idea like what he's meant to us growing up. We're not who we are without his guidance. Mm -hmm. So maybe you should listen to him a bit more. That's our older brother wisdom that we're trying to impart on you is maybe just listen to him and don't get so defensive and talk it out. Talk it out. But anyway, and that's what we're doing here on this podcast. We're talking it out. We're talking it out. Anna came at me with the Dolahoff hate, and you know what? We talked it out, and we got it, we got it sorted out. We got it figured out. And then you actually came out of nowhere. It's fine. It's, <laughs> totally, it's totally fine. Oh, man. It's good, it's good conversations. We hope you enjoy the debates that we have here. We hope that you partake in the debates that we Give have here. Give us your own ranking. Give us your own ranking. I think that would be a really fun thing to do on Twitter. Um, yeah, I think that that's something we got to promote. Get 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 your own ranking of the the top nine strongest Death Eaters, or witches and wizards. We could debate that too. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be a way more intense. There's just too many of them. There is too many. I Bertha, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Almost had a heart attack on the recording. Maybe we'll do something like that. I don't know. If you want to hear that debate, let us know, and and I can have that debate. <laughs> so. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please like, comment, share. Uh, it'll help this podcast grow. Uh, we really appreciate it. Participate in those polls on Spotify or if you see them on Twitter or Instagram. At Hogwarts a Pod. Thanks for listening, and we will see you back for Chapter 9. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.